Good morning, GYC. I'm thankful that three of you are here this morning. Good morning, GYC. It's great to be here worshiping with you this morning. Amen. It's great to be a Seventh day Adventist this morning. And I'm thankful to be at GYC. I'm thankful that you're here. And I'm looking forward to a very exciting weekend. What could be greater than starting GYC on a Sabbath morning? Amen? The only thing I think could be better would be starting GYC in heaven. How many of you think that might be possible next year? Wonderful. It's so good to see each one of you here. I'm excited about what the Lord's going to do. It's good to see that all of you have survived the Mayan calendar disaster. And uh, that was... uh, you know, in the news and all these different things, but I'm thankful, friends, that the hope that we have is not built upon superstition, amen? It's built upon the Word of God, and the Word of God has been proven down through the ages. And uh, just so thankful today that we have a solid hope, something that's real, something that's pure, something that's true, and we can celebrate that, we can worship our God this morning. My wife is at home. She's watching online with my eight-month old son, and we actually, I think they have a picture of my son. I don't know if they're going to be able to put that up, but uh, there they are. They're watching at home, and uh, I tell you what, friends, having a child will change our life for eternity, and what a blessing it is. Little Levi is there at home. I hope this weekend that we are going to leave GYC not the same people as when we came, but we will be changed, we will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we will be ready to fulfill Revelation 18, the glory of God being shown into all the world. That is my prayer this weekend. I've been praying for each one of you that God's Word, God's Spirit would speak to your heart this weekend. And friends, we want the latter rain to be poured out. How many of you want to have that experience today? This weekend, we're going to look at four different themes. We're going to look at several things from the book of Acts, some things that won't be from the book of Acts. But today, we're going to talk about the roots of the book of Acts. And then tomorrow, we're going to look at the power line of Acts. The next day, we're going to look at the driving force of the book of Acts. And then the last day, we're going to look at what it takes and what it took to continue in the book of Acts and what that means for our generation today. The titles will be Rediscovering Character today, tomorrow Redefining Culture, the next day Resurrecting the Church, and the last day Reaching the Cosmos. I'm looking forward to a powerful weekend. You know, as I was on my way out here, I was on a plane and I sat, um, I was flying southwest, it was open seating. And as I got on the plane, I, I, I have to confess, there was a man sitting in the seat by the window, and he was actually a very large man very large. In fact, he kind of like spilled over into the next seat. And I thought to myself, I said, you know, if I sit beside this man and there's actually extra seating available, then nobody's going to want to sit in the middle between me and him. You were supposed to laugh. So I said, I'm going to sit down. I felt heavily impressed to sit by this man. I thought, I'm going to be able to witness to this man all the way to GYC, four-hour flight. Well, all the people came on and the stewardess said, you know, this is going to be a very full flight. And so all the people came on and the last guy got on and he walked past me. And I thought, man, this is it. I'm going to have a seat to myself. I'm going to witness this guy. It's going to be wonderful. Then all of a sudden I get a tap on the shoulder. And it's the guy that went past me. He came back and he said, there's no more seats back there. This guy was about 6'4". 
and his shoulders were about this wide. And so you have the three biggest people on the plane all sitting in the same seats. <clears throat> this brother, the, the very large man, he like spilled over into the next seat. And then there was his brother sitting beside him, and I sat like this the whole time. Well, you think I'm joking. I'm totally serious. And the stewardess kept like bumping into me with the, with the cart. But I started talking to this man in the middle. The dude on the end, he like fell asleep. And I thought I was supposed to witness this guy. But the guy in the middle, he started telling me he, w- he was of a certain faith. And he started telling me how much he struggled with his faith. And he said, I struggle with my faith because the picture I see of the, of the character of God in the Bible, he says, I don't understand how there could be such a loving God and he would burn people for all eternity. And he's made a list of these things. And I said, brother, I said, this is not the true picture of God in the Bible. And we opened our Bibles together on the plane. We had a Bible study. And at the end of that time, the man said, man, my faith has been renewed. I'm so excited. Thank you for sharing this truth with me. You know, what that makes me think of is that there are young people all around the world who are not even in the Adventist church who want to be a part of the revolution that you're experiencing here. There are young people around the world who would give anything to have the seat that you're in today. And friends, there are young people who are going to be joining this church when the Holy Spirit pours out. And the question is, what are they going to be coming into? If they came to GYC, what would they see in you? Would they see Christ in you? It is my prayer this weekend, friends. That we will have such an experience with Jesus. It would radically change our lives. Please bow your heads as we pray. Father in heaven, Lord, this weekend we need an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. This weekend we need to see Jesus. This weekend we need to shun worldliness and selfishness and self-seeking. And we need the true love that can only come from heaven. We ask that your spirit would draw near to us today. We ask that you would speak to our hearts in a very powerful way. And we pray, Lord, that we would not be the same people when we leave as when we came. But we would be transformed. We would be renewed. We would be empowered. And you would bless your people. And we would know that we have been in the presence of Jesus today. This is our prayer. We ask it in his name. Amen. In order to oftentimes understand what lies ahead, many times you have to go backward. Is it not true? In Bible prophecy, we understand the book of Revelation. And many of the the symbols and and themes in the book of Revelation we find repeated or, or first told in the Old Testament. Is it true? Every revolution has its roots. Every revolution had something that had to happen before the revolution could take place. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at that in the life of a very interesting character in the Bible. His name is John the Baptist. How many of you have heard of John the Baptist before? Now, what's interesting is that without John the Baptist, there would be no book of Acts. Because John the Baptist introduces Jesus onto the scene, and then Jesus introduces, he brings about the Holy Spirit after that. 
John the Baptist is actually mentioned nine times in the book of Acts. Nine times. And every time he's mentioned, it's with great reverence. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus talks about John the Baptist and his closing words with the disciples. John the Baptist, we find in our study of Scripture, he's actually a type of the final generation that will live upon the earth. John the Baptist, his role was to prepare the world for the first coming of Jesus, and the last generation, is to, their role is to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus. How many of you know this to be true? You've seen this, you've studied this. And so John represents what God wants his final generation to be in the last days. And that is why we're going to look at John. We're going to see how he impacted the decisions he made. The life he lived set the stage for the book of Acts. It was the roots of the revolution. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to find a very powerful, clear connection. Jesus calls John the Baptist one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. And if he's one of the greatest that ever lived, he is the greatest, we know that he represents the last generation, and the last generation will also be the greatest. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew chapter 3, and that's where we're going to begin our study this morning. Some very powerful points that we want to make, and I'm praying that I'm going to finish on time. How many of you are going to pray for me? I've been a little bit sick, so if I cough, you will forgive me. But what I do not ask for is a thousand people to come up to me after the meeting today and give me all kinds of different home remedies. I don't need cloves of garlic. I don't need a bunch of stuff. Just pray for me, amen? Man, I'm doing all those things already, so please don't. Thank you. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible reads, are you there? If you're there, say amen. All right, Acts, uh, Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist was called to preach a message, to bear a message of repentance to a world who was not repentant. John was called to prepare the way for Jesus to come on the scene as the Savior of the world. We as Seventh-day Adventists are called to prepare the world for not the coming of Jesus as a Savior, but as the coming of Jesus as a conquering King. Amen? The Bible says that John bore a message of repentance. We asked the question, what is repentance? What is real, genuine repentance? It means that I was once going this way, but I've made a turn, and now I'm going where? I'm going the opposite direction. That's what a message of repentance is. A message of repentance is a deep sorrow for sin that leads us to want to please Jesus in every area of our lives. Not the areas that are comfortable, not the areas that are convenient, but in the every area of our lives. That is true repentance. I wonder how many of us today have actually experienced that type of true repentance in our lives. I pray that before the weekend is over, every one of us will have that experience. It is the Holy Spirit's work to change our attitudes and our actions. That is true repentance. It is not a work that you do. It's not a work that I do. It's a work that the Holy Spirit does in us. Amen? Repentance is absolutely necessary to receive the latter rain. How many of you would agree with that today? 
It's necessary. It's essential. Bearing a message of repentance is not an easy work. Some people actually have the wrong idea of repentance. I remember once I was in charge of a certain group of people. I can't tell you who or what because then somebody would know. But I remember I was in charge of a group of, of young people. And somebody brought me a cell phone with a video on it. And on this video was one of the young people whom I was in charge of. And there was a picture of them, not a picture but a video, on the, cor- on the street corner standing on top of a five-gallon bucket screaming at the people across the street, repent or be burned in hell. And I was like, I stood there for like five minutes. I could not believe that one of the young people I was in charge of Friends, that is not a message of repentance. That's a, me- that's a message of annoyance. Are you with me? What is a message of repentance? What is it that John bore that we need today? John's message was one of great love. He called the people to turn from their ways. In other words, this. John told the people not what they wanted to hear, but what they needed to hear. John told the people not what they wanted to hear, but what they needed to hear. John the Baptist loved the souls of the people he was preaching to more than their opinions of him. Are you with me? He loved their souls more than what they thought about him. We don't have that same experience today. We've come to the place where we want to entertain people instead of directing them towards heaven. We've come to the place where we want to pat people on the back and say, follow your heart and do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever pleases you. And we send them on their way down to the road of destruction because we're too afraid of what people think about us. I'm not talking about being in people's face, friends. I'm not talking about being annoying or obnoxious, but I'm talking about loving people enough to tell them what is right, to tell them what God would have them to do. This is the message that John bore. He was more interested in their salvation than he was their opinion. This is a love, friends, that can only come from heaven. This is the type of love this is the type of power, this type of experience that the, that the disciples had in the book of Acts. This is what enabled Peter to stand up before the Pentecost crowd and say, repent, you nailed Jesus to the cross. We need to have this type of repentance in our lives. That we, we value the favor and the approval of God more than those around us. More than our family, more than our friends more than anyone else in our lives. Today, Seventh-day Adventists are called, they've been raised to call a world out of spiritual and eternal darkness. We've been called, we've been raised in these last days to lead people to bear a message of repentance and holiness. This word holiness is a word that is often taboo in modern Adventism today. Many times people will criticize you, they'll laugh at you, they'll, they'll make fun of you, they'll say, that is not something that can be attained. But let me tell you what, friends, the New Testament Bible, the, the works of the Bible in the New Testament 
all call for a resounding act of holiness, a life of holiness. And holiness can only come when we have experienced repentance first. Let me give you a perfect layman's version of holiness. So many times we have people in our church, we have Adventists that claim to know the truth. And we know the truth, do we not? But they take that truth, they take the Ten Commandments, and they'll take it like a spiritual two-by-four, and they'll knock somebody over the head. And when the person falls down, they come over, and they start beating them. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are victims of that. I'm a victim of, I've been a victim of that. Some people think we're preaching the truth. And then there's the opposite end. There's the other end of the stick. There's the opposite end of the ditch. And that is loving kindness. And some people take that to an extreme. And when we take that to an extreme, we turn a blind eye to sin in people's lives. And we're unwilling to tell them what is right. But let me tell you what, friends, true repentance, bearing a message of repentance is having the perfect blend of both. It is achieving Christ-likeness. It is achieving being not just more like Jesus, but just like Jesus. But in order to become just like Jesus, we have to become more like Him every single day. What is holiness? It is the pursuit of Christ-likeness until we die or until Jesus comes. And we must have this, friends. We must have it. Or we're going to fall by the wayside. We're going to fall into Babylon. This is what John called the people to. Holiness, Christ-likeness, being like Jesus. It was the standard throughout the book of Acts. A perfect blend of both the law and loving kindness. Mercy and truth. Primitive godliness and apostolic love. That is the experience we must have if we are to be a part of that revolution if we are to be a part of it. What about you today, friends? Do you love the opinions of your friends more than the opinion of God? Do you love the opinion of your boyfriend or your girlfriend more than the opinion of God? Let me get a little bolder. Do you love the opinion of your wife or your husband above the approval of God? The men of the book of Acts were men who loved the approval of God more than their very life. And they were willing, if necessary, to lay down their lives that God's name might be glorified on earth. I fear to say, friends, I tremble to think how many of us in this room fit that same description. We must be faithful to heaven's call. Holiness is nothing more than loving God and loving others like Jesus did. That's as simple as that. When we love God the way Jesus did, when we love others the way Jesus did, we will be ready to go to heaven. We will be ready, as Pastor Cameron said last year, to fit into heaven. We will be ready to stand in the presence of God. How many of you want to have that experience at GYC this weekend, friends? How many of you want to have that experience? Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Peter says, repent. Let's look at it real quickly. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, Peter says, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, 
and the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. Even back in the book of Acts, the deep longing of their soul, friends, was that Jesus would come. Their deep longing of the soul is that the world will return to Christ so that it could be fitted and ready for a soon coming king. Is that your goal today? Is that your primary objective today? I beg that for many of us, it is not. You see, friends, I've heard all kinds of things before coming to GYC. I've heard people actually dare to say, GYC is becoming repetitious. We've heard the same messages time and time again. They're getting recycled. I've heard it all before. What a joke. When I think about that young man on the plane who would give anything to be here, I think, how dare we say something like this? Someone said that I would rather come and just pay $2,000 to come to GYC so I can network with people rather than hear the messages I've heard them all before. Friends, We think that we're something that we're not. We'd rather be at the booth than in the prayer room. We'd rather go to a restaurant than to go to outreach. We'd rather text in the meeting because we've heard it all before than to pray for the non-Adventist or the weak brother sitting beside us. That his heart might be touched. That her heart might be touched. We'd rather chat with our friends about nonsense, about what we bought downtown, than to share the testimony of what Jesus has done in our lives. Oh yes, friends, we're really ready for Jesus to come, aren't we? We're really an army of young people. I wonder if Jesus were to come today, how many would he take in this room with him? We are lukewarm. We are lukewarm at the most spiritual conference on the earth. Did you hear that? Not the most spiritual conference in Adventism. The most spiritual conference on earth. And we are lukewarm. Thank God for His mercy. Thank God for His compassion. Thank God for His patience. Because what we see today will not always be. God's going to be victorious, amen? Too many of us are loving the world too much. I want to read a verse to you, 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it but he who does the will of God abides, how long? GYC, how long? Forever. Forever. Let me tell you what, friends. In our church, we are loving the world way too much. And the way that we love, John says, do not love the world. The way that we love the world less is by loving Jesus more. We don't love Jesus more by loving the world less. We love Jesus, let me make sure I get this right. We love the world less by loving Jesus more. Too often we think that we have to make this brick house stand against the world. 
We have to double up our fists and tighten our belt and say, I'm going to stand right here and I will not be moved anymore. But how many times are we moved? It's because we're trying to make a stand against the world without making a stand for Jesus. We're not called to stand against the world. We're still called to stand for Christ. And in standing for Christ, it's a natural stance against the world. Do you understand this? This is the experience that we need to have. Today, it seems like worldliness is dominating our church. But let me tell you something. It will not have the final word. God will remove worldliness out of the church one way or the other. But you know what, friends? You know what God's deepest desire is today? You know what his deepest passion is? It's not that you would just simply grit your teeth and stand up, but you would give your affections totally to Jesus. You see, when we look to Jesus and he fills our hearts with love, it squeezes the love of the world out day by day, moment by moment, until there remains no more love for the world, but a heart that's full of love for Jesus. You want to have a heart that's full of love for Jesus today? Amen? That's what we need, friends. That's what we need. If we're going to carry a message of repentance, friends, we must first experience it. We must first experience it. This is what separated John from this generation. This is what makes the people in the book of Acts different from us. We need to have an experience of repentance. We need to have an experience with forgiveness. Amen? We need to rise to holiness. The second point I want to make to you is that John had influence. What did he have, everyone? He had influence. Please look with me back in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 4. The Bible says, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. I want you to think about this for just a minute. I want you to think about John. John was the kind of person that like really stood out in the crowd. You know what I mean? Like he was not your ordinary dude coming to GYC. He would have like probably wild hair and he's wearing this camel suit. And for breakfast, instead of eating oatmeal and bananas, he's over there eating like locusts and wild honey. He's the kind of guy that would stand out in any crowd, even a crowd of like a bunch of hippies and weirdos. He would stand out. Not that John was a weirdo, I'm not saying that. But he was different. Are you with me? He was different. As Seventh-day Adventist friends, let me back up. John the Baptist was a peculiar person. As Seventh-day Adventists, we are called to be peculiar. We are called to eat differently than the world. We are called to dress differently from the world. We are called to talk differently than the world. We are called to be different, to be peculiar people. But today we've become ashamed of that and we say to ourselves, how in the world can I influence other people if I'm different than them? And so the temptation has been for many of us to compromise what we know is right in order to gain influence over people. And let me ask you a quick question, friends. How has that worked out for you? How has that worked out for you? I can't think of a single instance ever in the Bible or in real life or in, in modern times when that's ever worked for anybody. 
ever. We are not called to compromise. We are called to stand. How can I witness to somebody whom I'm not like? And so we compromise. We get moved in a direction that we don't ever want. John never compromised. I want you to look at this, friends. John was a peculiar person. He had a simple lifestyle. He had everything in his life was simple, and he lived his life to glorify God. And you know what, friends? He had some of those powerful influence in the history of the Bible. Watch this. The guy is eating locusts and honey, and he's wearing a suit of camel hair. And notice what happens in verse 5. Then Jerusalem... All Judea and all the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Think about that. John stood for what he knew was right. He would not compromise. And God gave him such influence that the whole region came out to hear him preach. What about you? Does your whole town come out to hear you preach? Maybe if we stood more for the principles of God in our lives, God would bring us into positions of honor that we could be able to be a witness to somebody else. Amen? John was unwilling to compromise. Uncompromising faithfulness is what God is looking for today. I'm not saying that we should all go out and buy camel suits and camel skirts. I'm not saying that we should serve locusts and wild honey at GYC breakfast. I'd probably fast that morning. But at the same time, we know the principles that God has laid upon our hearts as a people, as a people of the last days, and we are called to live by them, friends, not out of obligation, not out of duty, but out of dedication and devotion to our Savior Jesus. Amen? I want to read a quote to you very quickly. It says in the book Desire of Ages, Jesus himself never purchased peace by compromise. His heart overflowed with love for the whole human race, but he was never indulgent to their sins. He was too much their friend to remain silent while they were pursuing a course that would ruin their souls. The souls he had purchased with his own blood. He labored that man should be true to himself, true to his higher and eternal interest. The servants of Christ are called to do the same work, and they should be aware, lest in seeking to prevent discord, they surrender the truth. They are to follow after the things which make for peace, but real peace can never be secured by compromising principle, and no man can be true to principle without exciting opposition. A Christianity that is spiritual will be opposed by the children of disobedience, but Jesus bade his disciples, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Those who are true to God need not fear the power of men or the enmity of Satan. In Christ, their eternal life is secure. Their only fear should be lest they surrender the truth and thus betray the trust which with God has honored them. What is your only fear today, friends? Dishonoring your God? or dishonoring your friends. John's example, the book, the, the example we find in the book of Acts is uncompromising faithfulness to everything in the Word of God. A lot of young people ask me about different issues. One of them is jewelry. Young people say, isn't it okay to wear jewelry? I mean, is it really that bad? 
Is it really that bad? Well, the Bible is actually pretty clear about that. We're not going to look these up, but let me give you two texts. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8 9. 1 Peter 3, verse 1 and 4. But the real question is this, friends. You look these texts up, and it'll answer that question for you. But the real question is this. Why do you need it? Why do you need it? What good does it do to you? Whenever I ask somebody that question, I've never received a solid answer. Most answers I get is because it makes me feel good or I just because I like it. I want to ask you this. When somebody compliments your jewelry, are they complimenting you or are they complimenting the metal that's on you? It's a false sense of security. The question is this, friends. Can that jewelry or whatever it is, that issue in your life, can that thing give you anything that Jesus cannot give you? Let me ask that question again, and I I would expect an answer from you, GYC. Can that thing, whatever it is, give you anything in your life that Jesus cannot give you? Yes or no? No. No. In Ephesians 1 verse 6, it says that we are accepted in the beloved. Jesus created us exactly the way we are, and we don't need anything to add to it. Amen? If you look at the pattern in the Bible, when God's people, if you look at, trace this pattern through the Old Testament, when God's people strayed away from Him, you know what they would do? They would put on jewelry. And every time God's people, He called them back to Himself, you know what He told them to do? take it off. Why is that the case? Because when we leave the presence of God, when we break our relationship, our covenant relationship with Him, our self-worth takes a plummet, and we need something that the world says is valuable to replace that. And the world says gold is valuable, pearls are valuable, and so what we do is we put that stuff on trying to replace what we lost in our relationship with Christ. Young people today, you don't need it. You don't need anything but Christ. He will fulfill you. Uncompromising faithfulness. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God wants so desperately for us to be His people. He wants to dwell inside of us. That is the mystery of the gospel, the hope of glory. The last point I want to make to you very quickly. Time is running out. Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through through nine. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. That is not exactly something I'd want to say to my baptismal candidates. You dirty little snakes in the grass. Why did you come here today? turn her back around and go out until you repent. I wouldn't say that. There's a young man here today who was just baptized in my church two weeks ago, and I'm sure he's thankful that I didn't say that to him. But John the Baptist knew their hearts, and he knew what was there, unrepentance, unwillingness to turn to Christ. And this is what he says, verse 9, 
And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. There is a huge lesson for us right here. These people thought that they were excluded. They thought that they were above what John was offering, what John was preaching, because they were the sons of Abraham. But he called them to the fruit of repentance. And today, my friends, as Seventh-day Adventists, as a lukewarm Seventh-day Adventist church, we somehow think that we are above what we are calling the rest of the world to follow. We attended all of the Adventist academies. We attended all of the Adventist colleges. We've been to all the GYCs. We think that we're something that we're not. Paul says, if any man thinks that he's something better than he is, God has a lesson for him. We've become comfortable in our wonderful Adventist lifestyle, eating our veggie links and watching our 3ABN on satellite. We love 3ABN, amen? Some people think they ought to stay home from church and watch 3ABN instead of gathering with God's people. We're comfortable, but we are lukewarm. Just like in the days of John, there was a lot of people there on that day that were convinced but they were not converted. Rather than a people who the revival of the book of Acts, we have become the epitome of Laodiceism. We're so comfortable. We thump our chest and we say, we're GYC like it's some kind of good old boy club. We thump our chest and we say, we do more outreach than anybody else. We have the coolest booths. We have all vegan meals. We're really something. We have arrived. While the God, we think that we're like the Savior of the church. While the God of heaven sits on his throne and his heart is breaking and he's got tears in his eyes and saying, yes, you have all those things, but these things you should have done without leaving the others undone. You're void of my spirit. We have vegan meals and everyone is at breakfast, but the prayer room is empty. We have booze pleading for missionaries to go, but very few volunteers. I wonder how many of us would be here if these devotions were before breakfast. What will it take to wake us up, GYC? The Drake Controversy, page 48. The Apostle Paul declares that all will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer what? Persecution. Why is it then that persecution seems in a great degree to slumber today? The only reason is that the church has conformed to the world standard and therefore awakens no opposition. The religion which is current in our day is not of the pure and holy character that marked the early church, the book of Acts. It is only because of the spirit of compromise with sin, because of the great truths of the Word of God are so indifferently regarded, because there is so little vital godliness in the church that Christianity is apparently so popular with the world. 
Let there be a revival of faith and power of the early church, and the spirit of persecution will be revived, and the fires of persecution will be continued. What will it take, GYC? What will it take? How dare we claim to be a continuation of the book of Acts when we really know what little, we know little of what it really means to suffer for Jesus. You know what, friends? The last generation, we're told, will be Laodicea. They will know what, uh, they will be the, the generation that knows the least about what it means to suffer for Christ. But, in, but by the time they go through the little time of trouble, they will be the generation that knows what it means to suffer the most for Jesus. I don't know about you, but if it's persecution that it takes to wake me up, then by the grace of God, let him bring it. Because where, there is perse- where God allows persecution, God also brings mercy. And he brings change and he brings transformation. We don't really want true godliness, friends, because we're afraid of what it might cost us. We are afraid of what the penalty, not the penalty, but the, what the consequence may be. We're too comfortable and we like it and we want to stay there. But God is too loving. God is too merciful to leave us there. How many of you are thankful for that today? God will do what it takes. God's calling us back to our first love, friends. The solution is the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit is little thought of, little will be given. God will give us the Spirit in the same measure that we are serious about receiving it. How many of you are serious today? I want to take you to, very quickly, our close. If you'll turn with me, I have 10 minutes worth to say in two minutes. So please turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're going to look at, we're going to look at a very, very powerful principle that's going to apply to us today. I want you to see this. John chapter 1. Quickly, quickly, are you there? If you're there, say amen. John chapter 1. Verse 19, the Bible says, Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not who? I am not the Christ. They came to him, they said, Who are you? And and the first thing that John says is, I am not the Christ. Which means that John knew that that's exactly what they were thinking. Are you with me? Desire of Ages tells us, if you, you can look it up, Desire of Ages, Ellen White says that if John were to call for an army to throw out the Romans, all of Israel would have followed him. They all thought that he was the one. And he comes to them and he says, I, or they come to him and he says, I am not the Christ. I want you to take note of this. This was one of the most crucial times in the life of John the Baptist. Why? Because it was when he was tempted to take what solely belonged to Christ and claim it as his own. Are you with me? He could have been the one that they all looked to. That had to be the biggest temptation he ever experienced. That had to be huge in his life. Yet he lived by a principle that all of heaven is looking for in God's people today. Turn over with me to John chapter 3, verse 30. We all know this verse. The Bible says, John said, he must what? Increased, 
but I must decrease. At the crucial point of his life, friends, at a moment when everything was on the line, imagine if John would have made the wrong decision and said, yes, I'm the Christ. Raise an army. We're going to go out and we're going to conquer the Romans. We're going to throw them out. I'm your deliverer. We think that that's not a huge temptation for John, but how many times in our own personal life, when somebody gives us a compliment, do we take the credit for ourselves? Everybody's looking to you. You're the man. You're the man of the hour. Everybody's been saying to me about preaching today, oh, you're the man of the hour. Jesus is the man of the hour. Holy Spirit, at the most crucial time in John's life, he had to decide who was going to sit on the throne of his heart. And that decision, on that decision, hinged the entire future of the book of Acts. Does that make sense, GYC? If John would have chosen to live for himself in that moment, we might not have a book of Acts today. i got to ask you a question today. His one choice could have altered the whole course of Christianity. And what if your decision today at GYC, the decision you make this weekend either for or against Christ, what if that decision could hinge the future of Christianity and have an impact on the world and in Jesus coming soon? Don't miss this, friends. God could do great things through you if you will choose today to let him sit unreservedly on the throne of your hearts. He could do powerful things, greater than the book of Acts, greater than John the Baptist. What John displayed in his character before Pentecost is what the disciples did not figure out until after the cross and after Pentecost. Do you understand? What Jesus was trying to get the disciples to figure out in their life was exactly what John the Baptist was. Somebody completely and utterly surrendered to the will of God. Now listen to this. Don't miss this. If John is a type of the last generation, then his life before Pentecost is living proof that we can live fully for Jesus Christ before the latter rain. Did you hear that? If John's life was pure and holy, totally committed to Jesus before the early rain fell at Pentecost, and he is a type of the final generation, you and I, then it is evidence that you and I can live full of the Holy Spirit even before the latter rain. In fact, we must. It is crucial. A few years ago, Three years ago, to be exact, I was diagnosed with cancer. I'm a two-cancer survivor by the grace and the glory of God. And I was in the hospital on my deathbed for 40 days. I had my 40 days wilderness experience. Many of you prayed for me, and God worked a miracle in my life. And I'm standing here before you today free of cancer. And when I was on that bed, I began to realize what things were really important. I began to realize that all the stuff that we fight over, all the stuff that we we just think is so precious, 
is all going to melt in the eyes of eternity. And what's most important today is the character that Christ is developing in you. What's most important is the person next to you whom you lead to Jesus. The world deserves to see a people upon the earth that fully reflect the character of Christ in their life. The world deserves it. That young man I talked to on the plane, he deserves it. And how else is God going to do it unless he does it through you? What's important for you today, friends? What are you living your lives for? If you want to be a part of the revolution that continues, we need to have an experience with repentance. We need to have an experience of uncompromising faithfulness to God. We need to be a people that reflect His image to the world. Do you value the opinions of your friends more than the opinion of God? God is calling you today to be something greater than this world can ever have to offer you. God is calling you today to be a part of something bigger than you can even imagine. Where are you at today? I'm going to make an appeal this morning and then we're going to close. In Romans chapter 8, it says that creation is groaning very, very quickly. Romans chapter 8. Verse 19, it says, The earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. God is waiting for a generation. He's not waiting for more earthquakes. He's not waiting for the Pope. He's not waiting for any other thing. But he's waiting for his church to wake up. What is it going to take for you to wake up today, friends? What are you living for today? I'm calling you today, in this moment, to live for Jesus. I'm calling you to leave behind the opinions of your friends. I'm calling you to leave behind the opinions of Facebook, the opinions of whatever it is that's driving you today. And I'm calling you to live for the approval of the God of heaven. Maybe there's somebody today that says, I'm finished. I will no longer live for the opinions of others, for the opinions of God. And I want to be among that number whom God lives in today, whom God pours his spirit out today, but also whom he's preparing me day by day to be filled with the latter rain power. If that's you today, friends, if you want to leave those issues behind you and look forward to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to stand wherever you are. I'm not making a general appeal, but if there's an individual today who will say, Jesus, use me, fill me. Let me be the one whom you will live your life through. Would you stand with me? Praise God. GYC, never forget that the mystery of the gospel is Jesus living in you. And that's his deepest passion. That's everything that he lives for. Don't throw it away. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, today we want to be a people who are fully and utterly surrendered to you. We don't want to be just another GYC come and gone, but we want this to be the last GYC 
We want to be in heaven next year. Lord, empty us of ourselves and fill us with yourself. Empty us of sin and fill us with your spirit. Be in our hearts, be in our minds, Lord. And do not let us compromise with the world, but let us rise above the world and lead others out of it. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.